1: at altars of gold and silver, but as I knelt there, they turned to rust.
2: appreciate that. that song. Would you please open your Bibles to the book of Mark? And we'll be looking at chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. And uh, let's just uh, bow our heads and ask God to help us. Lord, as we approach your, your Word, just the time of the study of Your Word, I ask that You would help us to... Um, really understand what You are trying to say. God, we don't want it to be just my words, but we want it to be Your Word. And I pray that You would just help me as I try to articulate a few things that I believe You've laid on my heart this week. I ask for Your help. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is the seventh lesson in our series entitled Follow Jesus. and 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 I know that this series is going way longer than most of our sermon series uh, go. But when it comes to this topic, I feel that I'm in the slow class. And I I really just uh, still feel the need to dig deeper into what it means to uh, be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. I do know we're coming to the end. And probably next week we'll wrap things up and then transition maybe into the Christmas season. But. Anyway, just just uh, pray that today God would have His way. Now, I'm, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but I want to make a prediction. Um, as we progress into this lesson today, I have a feeling that some of you will begin thinking of a, another person that really needs this lesson. Uh, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a coworker. your kids, your spouse, maybe even your pastor... And, and, and I want to just make this clear, they may need it, and, and I know I need it, your pastor for sure needs it, but unless you are just extra, extra, super duper, wonderfully perfect, you are probably going to find yourself in the category of needing the truth that we will study today as well. So uh, if possible, I was just thinking about this week, you know, you see these horses pulling buggies going down the road, sometimes they have on these blinders. Uh, Wayne, you know that, you know, blinders so they can't see what's going on beside them so it doesn't bother them and spook them. And and so can we just put blinders on this morning and uh, let's just focus on us and let's allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. Let's jump into our lesson. When we talk about following Jesus, there's an important assumption that we need to make. If we're going to follow Jesus, then Jesus must be a leader worth following. And most people, when they think of Jesus, they don't necessarily think of, of Jesus in terms of being a great leader. Christians, you know, we think of him as our savior. Those outside of Christianity, they look at Jesus as, as a religious figure, maybe the founder of Christianity. But, but typically, most people do not see Jesus as a leader to emulate and we 're going to dispute all all of that today but 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 I will admit this and, and and I hate to admit it, but most religious figures are not good leaders in fact, many pastors are not many pastors are not good leaders. you know good leaders are typically about leading into the future, and unfortunately, too many pastors are about the past. Great leaders are about change and And many pastors actually stand in the way of change. And so when you think about the church, sometimes it's sort of an atmosphere of, well, let's just shoot from the hip and, and, you know, God will help us and, and let's just kind of hope and pray and maybe keep our fingers crossed that things will go well and we'll do what we've all, what we've always done. And in many churches, there is no evidence of, of a strong spirit filled leadership, but that was not Jesus. Jesus was an extraordinary leader. There there was no, there's no way that we would be talking about Jesus 2,000 years after the fact were it not for his extraordinary leadership. You know, as I was preparing this, I I was thinking, okay, I I know what some of you guys are going to be thinking. You're going to be thinking, oh, come on, Joe. You know, uh, this is church. This is not a place for one of those, you know, motivational, reach for the top, reach for the stars, be all you can be leadership speeches. This is not what that's going to be. Rather, the leadership to which Jesus will be referring in our lesson will be from the perspective that every one of us is a leader. If you are sucking air, you're a leader. You may not be the CEO or CFO of a company, but... You may be a school teacher and so you're the leader of your class. You may not be a congressman or congresswoman in Jeff City, but, but you're a coach. And so you lead those athletes that play under you. You may not be the owner of a business, but, but you're the captain of your team and so you're a leader among your peers. You may not have 10,000 friends on, on Facebook, but you work at 3M. And you have responsibility there. You may not be the pastor of a church, but, but you're a kids worker or a life group leader. And so you have the responsibility of leading those that gather under your teaching. You may not be a world-renowned author, but, but many of you are a husband or wife or papa or Grammy. And so therefore you have leadership responsibility there. You may not be on a board or, or have any elected position in the community, but you're looked at as a prayer leader. And, and when something happens, tragedy strikes, there are people that come to your mind and you think, I'm going to call them because they are prayer leaders. They know how to pray. They know God. So again, this message is not a motivational, you know, the power of positive thinking lesson that, that a leadership guru might give. Rather, this is a down-to-earth lesson that comes straight from the words of Jesus, giving us a leadership standard that he requires for all of us. Now, to begin with, and I don't think we really should have to do this, but just in case we need to establish Jesus as a credible leader, let me put it this way. In modern day terms, we'll just say that Jesus built his brand in three years. And during those three years, here's what he did. He laid the foundation that would lead to having hundreds of thousands of his franchises around the world that we call churches and having millions and millions of his followers that we call Christians. And Jesus did that without racking up a single frequent flyer mile. That's more than I will ever do and more than most of you will do as well. You know, the truth is that 2,000 years from now, if if there are any people left on earth, they will not be talking about any of us. In fact, I was really humbled this week thinking about this. If we were to die today, five years from today, nobody except for maybe our families would be talking about us. And 10 years from today, our families probably won't even be talking about us. We will be a distant memory. But here we are 2,000 years after Jesus lived. We're still talking about him, which means he has the leadership credibility to cause us to pay attention to him. Now, Mark chapter 10, and and just a note, the author of the book of Mark is whom? Come on. Book of Mark was written by... Mark, did you guys not sleep last night? Now, Mark was not one of Jesus' apostles, disciples. Mark was actually someone who knew the apostle Peter. And scholars believe that Mark's content came from his conversations with Peter, who, of course, was an eyewitness of all the things recorded in Mark. But here's the setting in our scripture, Mark chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem and, and a conversation is going on where Jesus is telling them, Hey, if if you're going to follow me, if if you're ever going to be in a position where you have authority over others. and, And of course, all of his disciples were in a position of authority. Jesus said, this is how you are to exercise that authority. Let's pick up our reading. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, catch the word again. Uh, Again. You know, the disciples were slow learners. And so again, Jesus is trying to prep the disciples for what was going to happen. So it says, again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Well, what was going to happen? Well, they had been on the pinnacle of popularity, but but things were about to go south. And, and Jesus was trying to prepare the disciples for the hard times they would face. Verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, who is that? Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him. And, and here Jesus is talking about himself in the third person. They will condemn him to death. And we'll hand him over to the Gentiles, that would be to the Romans, who will, and this gets a little bit graphic, mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. But here's the good news. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, let me try to bring some perspective to this conversation. This is kind of a special moment between, you know, between uh, Jesus and, and his disciples, Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, when we, when we get to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. And, and, and I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be flogged and killed. And on the third day, I'll arise. But this next statement cracks me up because right in the middle of what appears to be a special and intimate moment between Jesus and his disciples, look what happens. Verse 35, then James and John the sons of zebedee by the way by the way just some trivia what did jesus nickname james and john he called them the sons of thunder that'd be quite a nickname wouldn't it why did he nickname that we don't know but maybe they had bombastic like characteristics i don't know but he was saying, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, my reaction is, really? I mean, here Jesus has just poured out his heart. It's like one of the last meaningful conversations before his arrest. But it's obvious that James and John, they've not dialed in. And, and so they say, oh, Jesus, sorry about all the spitting and the flogging stuff but but Jesus would you do us a favor Now if you're a parent you've probably had similar moments with your kids maybe you're on a camping trip and and you feel that closeness with your son or daughter and you say oh I love you so much and you know please never forget the godly heritage that grandma and grandpa gave me and then I've tried to build that into you and you know honey please always remember that the most important thing is for you to serve Jesus and and, and you think it's one of those rare moments where you've actually connected with your kids. And and all of a sudden, one of them pipes up and says, Hey, hey, Dad, did you know that when you talk, one side of your mouth does something, than the other side? You know, or, or Dad, did you know that you've got a long hair coming out of one nostril? And, you know, my goodness, it's like, you know, I just poured out my heart to you. And I thought this was a special moment with a special connection. And you haven't been paying attention because you're looking at my nose. Well, that's kind of what happened here in the the book of Mark. And and Jesus has just poured out his heart. And he shared all the stuff that's going to happen. And and he's going to be spit on and flogged. And he's going to die. And and James and John are like, hey, Jesus, sorry about that. But would you do us a favor? Well, I don't know if Jesus rolled his eyes. I would have. But Jesus said, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Listen to their request. Verse 37. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, Jesus, after all that, 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 that spitting and that flogging and that dying stuff is over and you become king, can one of us be on your, on your left, the other on the right? And In other words, Jesus, we want the offices right by you. We want to be your top guys. Well, how does Jesus react? Jesus looks at them in verse 38 and says, Jesus answered you don't know what you're asking. In other words, you don't know what's involved in being on my right hand and left hand. Well, at this, this point, it gets really interesting because remember, there are 12 disciples. And so the other 10, they become aware that James and John, they're trying to undercut them and edge them out. And so in verse 41, Mark tells us, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, what does the word indignant mean? Well, I I looked it up. I thought I I knew what it meant, but I looked it up anyway this week. and, And indignant means annoyed, peeved, mad, offended, angry. And that's what those ten disciples were when they found out that James and John were trying to weasel their way and cut them out. They were annoyed, peeved, mad, offended, angry. Now, why were they indignant? Was it because James and John, the sons of thunder, had been so insensitive to Jesus? I mean, here's Jesus pouring out his heart in this intimate moment, and, and they're so insensitive and saying, hey, give us, do us a favor. And, um, were they indignant because of that? No. Do you know why they were mad? Because they also wanted to be on the left and on the right. And so reading between the lines, I can imagine that chaos erupted there. It probably ended up being like a church business meeting. There was just chaos. Well, Jesus realizes that the disciples have totally missed it. And so Before they get to Jerusalem, Jesus calls a timeout. And and, and I can just imagine Jesus sighing, saying, You know, we've we've been through this before. but let's go over it one more time. And so we read this in verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. So so Jesus begins to explain how people in the world lead. And, and in this passage, it's fascinating. Mark uses two different Greek words referring to exercising authority. And, and, and in the first Greek word, he's basically saying, you know, in the world, if you're the leader, you generally leverage your authority for what's best for you. You know, everybody's there to serve you. You're the boss. The employees are there to serve the boss but then mark and this is really interesting he uses a second greek word that takes it farther than that and 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 here it infers that there's an abuse of authority i mean the boss takes advantage of those under him or under her and and the boss treats them like dirt and and some of you you've experienced that i mean the boss never really cared about your personal matters he, he or she didn't care that your kid was sick and needed you at home or he or she didn't care that you weren't feeling well. They didn't care about you as a person. And, and they just wanted you to serve them or their company with no regard for you. And so when Jesus says to the apostles, you know how in the Gentile world, rulers lord it over the people and the apostles go, yeah, we do know that. And, and by the way, Jesus, that's why we want to sit on your left hand and your right hand, because we don't want to be lorded over. We want to lord over. We don't want to be ruled over. We want to be the rulers. Well, Jesus perhaps smiles and then he says a key statement right here. Verse 43, he says, not so with you. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus has been talking about how the world views authority as you are there to serve me. You know, you're here to do as I want you to do. Don't ask questions. You just follow my instructions. Just shut up and do what I tell you to do. But Jesus said, not so with you. Not so with you. In other words, we're not like the world. If you're going to be my follower, you won't operate as the world. He says, not so with you. And so Jesus, in his typical fashion, turns the whole authority model upside down. And then he begins to describe how we are to lead. Here's what he says. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you. So Jesus is basically saying, do you want to be great? And of course, all the disciples would have said, oh, yeah, of course. That's why we want the offices right by you. Do you want to be the boss? Duh, of course. Do you want to run the whole department? Yeah. Do you want to be the regional manager? I think I could do that. Yep. And Jesus says, no problem with that desire. But he says, if you're going to follow me, then when you find yourself in a position of authority, then you need to lead like me. And he goes on and he tells how that is. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, frankly, that had to be a downer for the disciples. They they didn't want to serve. They wanted to be served. Well, Jesus continues on. Verse 44, and whoever wants to be first... You know, first is like the big wig, the head hog, the big cheese, the head honcho. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And I wonder if at that point the disciples didn't say, Jesus, what do you mean that if we want to be great, we have to be a servant? And what do you mean that if we want to be first, we have to be a slave of all and I wonder if they said, Jesus, that's your problem right there. It's obvious you don't know much about leadership. Now, when you hear that model for authority, it's natural for us to think, but Joe, snap back into reality. This was 2000 years ago. And yeah, it might, might work today in a church setting. But don't tell us that you're so naive to think that that applies for 3M or wit printing or wherever you work. But I want us to understand that the context for this statement that Jesus made was not for a church setting. Jesus was talking about any position of authority. He was saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus... And God happens to give you a measure of authority, whether it's in a business setting or whether it's in a nonprofit profit setting, leading like Jesus is not lording over, rather it is serving. Now, just for clarification, here's what Jesus was not saying. Jesus was not saying, well, if you're in authority, you need to just kind of wander around all day long and go get people lattes and kind of run errands for everybody and serve them and let people just run all over you. Jesus is not saying that. He was not saying that those in authority shouldn't stay on task and be productive. He is simply teaching that that when we have authority, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority, whether it's at home or in the marketplace or in the community or in the church. We don't leverage our authority so that people can serve us. Rather, we leverage it So that we can serve those who are under our authority. And here's the reason Christ's leadership plan works even today. Because if I believe, you know, wherever it is that I have authority. You know, at home or at work, in the church. But if I believe that as the boss, I'm here for me. And you are here for me. And everybody's here for me. Then I better watch my back. Because nobody else will. And, and some of you probably work in places like that. Or if you work there, you're in an environment where there's so much mistrust. And it's self-preservation. And it's self-promotion. And it's a dog-eat-dog world. People talking about each other and, and gossiping and criticizing, tearing people down. But imagine an environment in the home. Or at church or at work where, you know, let's just say I'm the boss and so I actually believe that I'm here for you and, and then you are there for those people that report to you and, and they are there for the people that report to uh, to them. And if that's the mentality, then it totally changes the work culture and, and people have the freedom and the trust to invest in others instead of just promoting themselves and tearing down others that might be competition to them. Now, here, here's the interesting thing. Every generation or so, someone comes along that tries to reinvent leadership. And so they do research and ultimately write books that supposedly have completely new leadership concepts. And But one of the main questions that, that all of these authors and researchers ask is this. What makes a great leader? You know, what are the seven habits or, or the five habits or the three things or the six things that cause people to be great leaders? And in the 80s, some of you would remember the name Stephen Covey. Remember the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And then more recently, it was Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And it's interesting, but but Collins said that when he went around asking people what would be the distinct what is the distinguishing characteristic of, of great leaders, he, he thought in his mind, I know the answer, but I'm just going to ask people. He said, I know the answer is charisma. Because charisma equals leadership. And when people have great charisma, then people have to respect them. But he said his research proved him wrong. What he found, that the distinguishing characteristic of great leaders was, it was not charisma. Do you know what? It was humility. Humility. In the midst of these leaders, you know, their ambition and drive, there was a genuine concern for the people they led which I, I think Jesus would say, I told you so. 2,000 years ago, I told you so. Now, before we head home, let, let me try to make this lesson practical and, and give you two things that we can all do. And the first practical take home is in the form of a question. It's a powerful question that we should ask and write it down as well. Here's the question. What can I do to help. And there's someone in this church that has basically taught me this almost on a weekly basis. They will text me or they will call me. They will talk to me. How can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Now, now why is this question so important? Well, because when you ask that question, essentially you're asking, how can I loan myself to you? How can I bring my resources? How can I bring the things that I'm able to control or the influence I might have? How can I loan them to you in a way that will help you? What can I do to help? And really, did you recognize, this is the gospel. This is God looking down on our sin-filled, broken world and asking the question, What can I do to help? Because He knew that we needed help. And and He knew that we couldn't fix ourselves. He knew that we were a mess. And what was the help that God gave? He sent sent us His beloved Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. What can I do to help? And I know for some of you, if your boss were to walk in tomorrow, if he were to say, hey, what can I do to help you would pass out? Because you work in an environment where the boss isn't supposed to ask that. You as the employee, you're supposed to ask that. Furthermore, and this really gets down to the nitty gritty. Are you listening here? I wonder what would happen this week if we would go to our wife or our husband and say, Honey, I, I know you're carrying a heavy load with the kids. Or I know you're carrying a heavy load at work. What can I do to help? You know, Jesus says we're to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. And, and one of the simplest ways to do that is to blend in our culture, into our culture at home, or the culture at work, or the culture at church, this very simple but powerful question, What can I do to help. Here's the second practical take-home, and and, and try to track with me on this. Look for opportunities to do, for one, what you wish you could do for everyone. And, And Jesus did this. As you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus didn't heal everyone, He didn't feed everyone, he didn't visit everyone, he didn't stop in every town, but he did for one what he wished he could do for everyone. And and, and through this, even though you can't do everything, even though you can't help everyone, even though you can't give of your time to everyone, even though you can't financially help everyone, you can still help one. You can still make a difference in the life of one. You can still loan yourself to one. You know, frankly, sometimes I get frustrated with myself because I, I wish I could do more and I wish I could invest in the lives of dozens of people and spend time with them. And humanly I can't, and and humanly you can't. But do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now when I was preparing this message, I I, I struggled this week. Man, it was a tough week and because I did not want to come across as trying to be the leadership guru and the motivational speaker. You know, talks about leadership. But but I hope that you've noticed this is not a motivational speech of be all you can be and reach for the stars. This, this is pretty much anti every leadership book that you can buy in the stores. But I believe that if we would learn this concept, then it would totally change every aspect of society. It would change our homes. And instead of getting upset because our, our spouse didn't get everything done that they needed to, we would say, honey, how can I help you? And at work, instead of creating a culture of, of, hey, I'm the supervisor, you need to serve me, we need production, even if you have to sacrifice your family, come on, do it for the team now. Our attitude would be, how can I help? And a church, instead of our staff and pastors thinking, well, the people need to get off of their tails and do some ministry around here, we would have an attitude of, how can I help you? And instead of you, the people in this church thinking, well, I come to church, I pay my tithe, I deserve to be fed, I deserve to have my needs met, you better have a good product at this church, Pastor. Instead of that, we would have the conviction, I'm here to serve. What can I do to help? So Jesus said, you know how the world does it, the boss lords it over others. Jesus says, but not so with you. The world leverages their authority for themselves, but Jesus says, not so with you. The world wants to be on top of the pyramid, so all of the praise and glory goes to them. Jesus says, not so with you. Now, at the end of this little conversation with the apostles, Mark says something that takes away all of our excuses. You know, sometimes we we hear some advice and we say, yeah, but... Yeah, I agree with you, but. Well, this next verse takes away the yeah, but. And here's how the conversation ends. Verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served. In other words, he's saying you you think if you think it's all about you as a boss or a husband or a wife or a pastor If you think it's about having people serve you, then you've rated yourself above Jesus. Because Jesus did not come to be served. And how far did Jesus take this concept of giving of Himself? Was it just, well, losing a bonus or, you know, sharing credit for an idea or... Was it not being oh this gets a little close. Was it not being noticed when he served around the church? No it says, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." And so Jesus served to the point of giving his life. So here's my question, and then we're done. What does this look like in your world? Where can you begin? I don't know where God is going to ask you to begin, but I think maybe the obvious place for many of us would be to begin in the home. And don't go to your spouse and say, well, Joe preached this morning that I should ask you, how can I help you? So I'm doing that. I'm fulfilling my assignment. No, no, no. But maybe you could say it this way. Honey, I realize I haven't been there for you. I'm really sorry. And Joe's message helped me to realize that I need to loan myself to you. I need to help you. And then tomorrow morning, maybe you could begin your day by asking your co-worker or your employee or your boss, how can I help you today? And then all of us at church, maybe we could jump on the bandwagon and this week begin texting each other like crazy and calling each other and just offering to loan our talents and our influence to each other. Can I just make a bold statement here? This will change our culture. This will change our community. This will change our church. This will change our homes. And Jesus Christ will be glorified. So two things. How can I help? And do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And all of the people said, Father, I know this is anti-everything our culture says. Lord, there's even part of me that says, wait a minute, that's that won't work. But it will work because... It's your principle. Lord, I want to just pray. I want to pray this morning for some of our authority figures, the bosses, managers, supervisors, business owners. Lord, I'm thankful that we have some here in this congregation that that do this. They already do this, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would give them opportunities this week to just ask people that are hurting, how can I help? Lord, I pray that those that are authority figures, the bosses, I pray that this would be an opportunity to model leadership according to Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray for those in authority and God, that they would catch a glimpse of the culture that could happen, could take place, the transformation. Lord, I want to pray for those of us as as employees that maybe at work uh, we don't have a lot of authority, we're there working for others, under others. Father, I pray that our attitude would be right. And Lord, even as an employee that we could go to each other, to our co-workers, even go to our boss and just say, how yeah, can I help? I know this is my job, but... I care about you as an individual and how can I help? I know you're going through a tough time and and you, even as the boss, I know you have struggles and I, I know you have issues going on and work is tough. And Father, I pray that those of us that are employees, that we would be able to just lend a helping hand, loan ourselves to them. I pray for our teachers. Lord, leaders over these students. And Father, I realize that we're limited in, in how much of Jesus we can inject into our classes. But Father, I pray that within the framework, within the what is what is allowed, that they would be able to just somehow build into their students that it's about serving and Lord, as they make plans, as they dream dreams of what they're going to do in life, that somehow our teachers would be able to just, Lord, let them see the beauty, just the fulfilling life of serving. Lord, I want to pray for our coaches today. Lord, I I thank you that we have several coaches in this church, and these are coaches that love you. Lord, there's no better place than to just be able to model what you say in your word, Lord? I pray. I pray that you would just give them opportunities to make a difference among those students. That, Lord, sometimes it's so tough with parents because they're upset. My kid didn't get playing time, and Lord, all of those things that sometimes we don't think about, but Lord, it's real. And and I pray that you would just help them to have that wisdom. Lord, I pray for those that work at three m or wit printing. I pray for those in the car business. I pray for those who are self-employed. God, I pray that whatever type of authority we exercise over others, Lord, that we would leverage for leverage it for those that are serving under us. That we would not see ourselves as better, but we're created equally. And so God, I just pray a blessing upon upon all of those in authority i pray for our homes lord i pray that husbands and wives would love each other and that they would serve each other lord i pray for the young people children lord that they would god sometimes that they uh sometimes they think that maybe parents are there for them and do everything for them and But Lord, I pray that maybe there would be some young people that would go to parents this week and just say, Mom and Dad, I know you're carrying a heavy load. I know you've done so much for me. You've sacrificed and how can I help you? How can I help you? And so Lord, I just pray that this would be an amazing week. First of all, as we serve you. And then as we serve each other. Let our culture be a culture that would honor and glorify Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. It endures forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. We've Bless been you. listening Thanks Thanks to the to
0: Sunday this. Morning Message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.